If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also, email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com. Today, we're interviewing one of my exes, activist and soon-to-be abolitionist lawyer, Jack Lyons, on their journey of identity, coming out, leaving behind a femme presentation, and eventually identifying as trans. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships. I'm Dan Epstein, recording artist, Enneagram 4, and ADHDJ. I'm Justin Waring Crane, model, actress, singer, dancer, mathematician. Mine is waking. Ooh. Like as in you're like woke? Are you kidding? Woke? <laughs> Whoa. Dan's the wokest okay, person I Mr. know. Okay, Mr. Political. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Buzzword. <laughs> What's yours, Justin? Hmm. I feel restless. Like I would just like want to dive in, but I don't really know like where to start. Um, yeah. So... I think I'm like, I have this weird thing that happens where I'm like, what would they do on Glennon Doyle's podcast? And then I'm like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> so well, what would they do? They just like, they come in so like prepared to each episode. Mm. And we sort of like, we're so like spontaneous and fun that we <laughs> like just decided to do this episode yesterday. So I just want to co- come yeah. into it being like, it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be like, so fun for us that's what i want it to be is fun for us i've we've been recording for a while now and i still listen back to the episodes when i edit them and i'm like why am i i I can hear that i feel pressure to laugh you know that like i need to laugh (laughs) you know like i can i know what your pressured laugh sounds like yeah (laughs) and i end up i end up up editing it out but (laughs) i'm just like maybe i'll stop doing that one day Mm mm-hmm that's a good goal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm going to interview you guys for a second. Uh-oh. Yeah. Are we, are we in trouble? Mm, yeah. You're about to be. <laughs> Depends on how you answer. No. Um, so welcome, Jack Lyons. Amazing to have you here. Um, Jack and Dan, you guys used to date. Mm-hmm. So let's situate the listeners in a brief synopsis of you guys dating. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I mean, when we dated, like that was the last, you were like the last person I dated for any significant amount of time before Justin and I started dating. And I didn't really, I dated you longer than I dated anyone else in between my super long relationship and uh, this relationship. But we, uh, you popped up on my little hinge. You, little hinge. you, you had just moved to LA from from Dallas. From yeah, Dallas. it was like one week fresh. Yeah, and you were living in a van. True. I was like, okay, this person. <laughs> you were okay. I was probably like, was I like thirty one, um, thirty two maybe, and you were like twenty six. Yeah, I don't know, some, right. something around that. Um, but I was like, okay, we're a little bit of different generations, I remember thinking. Yeah. Situationally <laughs> for me, I was like, damn, I don't know anyone in this city and I'm living in a van. That mm-hmm. was silly. Um, so Dan was my first friend. Yeah. Dan was the first Jewish person I ever met. Oh, really? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's <Yeah>. explosive. <laughs> Right That's going to be the title of the episode. Right in this point in the episode, like some really intense like Jewish singing is going to come in. I'm going to edit it in. Yeah, it was cool. Um, what did What did you know? What did you think about Jewish people at that time, or what associations did you have? I didn't think anything. Yeah, no thoughts up in that brain. Um, <laughs> I Dan was the last person I dated before I was gay, <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess 
How long did we date for? So I think time? we dated for like, um, I think we dated for like a couple months and then we broke up. Uh, we broke up. Um, trying to remember when we broke up that first time. Um, I think we were fighting. I like, I'd never dated somebody who would just bring it, like bring it to me. Like so <laughs> Aries. Um, Not avoiding conflict. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And like, and like being like, when I did something and it triggered you, you would be like, that was really, that made me really upset. You know, like really direct, really direct. Yeah, um, really and direct. I, I was, that was interesting for me to, to deal with. Um, and if you didn't say interesting, what would you say? <laughs> it was challenging for sure. I felt challenged, but I also felt like it was cool because it was, it was like, I could tell it was a good thing for me to experience to be like, okay, my nervous system is like, getting stressed out, but like we are able to get to a place of, of like a new understanding. Um, and then we broke up for a few months and then we got back together. But I think all in all, it was like between five and six months that we dated. Okay. And yeah, we had some really fun times. Um, some, some, some fights, some fun times. (laughs) Uh, we did a really kind of hellish, uh, road trip in your van to Big Sur. Oh my God, that was so bad. <laughs> it was bad within like the first 20 minutes. Oh, it, was, no. yeah, it was really stressful. <laughs> How long was the road trip? Uh, we we only stayed one night on the road trip itself, I think, in wow. Big Sur. Makes sense. Um, but uh, wow, within the first 20 minutes, that's. Yeah, yeah. we were like on the freeway fighting. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Car fights are so yeah. specific. On yeah. a road trip. Oh, yeah, you're like, here we go. We're trapped for Well, yeah. Two days. It's, it's interesting because dating dating you, I felt like I could feel that like I might have been like too sensitive of a person to date you at that time at least. And I could feel that that was like the incompatibility for me was like in the relationship, I was feeling kind of bad about being sensitive and i f- knew that that like probably was not going to work for me because it's just it just is um yeah. yeah and i was also what's interesting is when we broke up i wasn't definitely it wasn't a situation where i was like oh we'll definitely be friends you know i didn't necessarily oh, feel yeah. that in the moment you know yeah it felt like a kind of you know tumultuous rupture um, yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we went to hang out. We got lunch like a few months later and you weren't, you didn't have any animosity towards me. And you oh. had a whole new community. That's so interesting. I don't even remember this lunch. Where'd we We go? went somewhere in like West Hollywood. Oh. Yeah. And you were like. I did, I, yeah, I was thinking like, how did we yeah. become friends? After yeah. a not like super amicable mm-hmm. breakup, mm-hmm. and now yeah. how did you guys? You guys don't really really know how you guys got to be friends again. Post well, breakup. I don't know. I think we weren't talking so much for a little while, and then we had lunch, and I think just like after a, a bit of time, we just started talking again, and then you like lived in you lived with me briefly, um, yeah. a few years later, but. Like, yeah, you started coming to like some social things with your at that time girlfriend. And I feel like we have a friendship that is very like easy and fun for me now. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. After we got off the phone with you yesterday, we were like, God, they're they're so easy to talk to. We're so at ease Aww. with them. So mm-hmm. like, That's so nice. Feels good. Yeah, I feel the same. I wish I had a better memory. Of all of this, Mm -hmm. I think the thing that stood out to me the most about dating you, Dan, was that you were the first, as I said, Jewish person I've ever met. No, you weren't doing the like, Justin, I don't know if you had this experience in Texas, but like the Christian man dating in Texas is just like a whole archetype of person. Um, 
that I've in only- some ways is like not, you know, great. Um, <laughs> and in other ways, kind of allowed me to move through dating without taking a lot of responsibility for like my actions and mm-hmm. my feelings. And um, I think I was a little bit of like a princess. I've only had these mm-hmm. men like cooking me three meals a day and like driving me around and like planning all the dates and like doing the like pursuer role where I just kind of had to like show up and not even like I would get like picked up from my house. <laughs> That's um, nice. <laughs> and I, I feel like one of the first, I don't know if it was a fight, but it, in my mind, it was a fight um, with myself was Dan was always trying to make me drive to his house. And I was wow, like, Dan. what the fuck is this about? <laughs> I mean, now we have a whole new episode. We're just going to talk about this. <laughs> what What the hell is that about, Daniel? I think I... that was like my response to everything. Like very mm. normal, reasonable dating requests. Um, I was like, what is chivalry dead? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm out here living in my van in West Hollywood. And Dan mm. lives in Silver Lake. And I was driving my entire house mm. to go see this man. And I was like, this is crazy. Yikes. Um, and I feel yeah. like Dan just had other like very reasonable things where he would prioritize himself as a person. Um, mm. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is not how this works. I don't know if you remember any of these instances, like in the very beginning. Mm. Can you, can you think I, of one? Um... I don't know. I think I just was so used to like the gender role of being like a woman, like a Mm. girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And my experience of that was that I like didn't have to like do anything. Mm. And I feel like you don't really do gender roles that much in dating. And I was like, I don't understand how to do any other role. So okay. if I can't do this one, I don't mm. know how to participate here. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I don't know. I remember you saying, I remember you telling me this, that just like the the guys you had dated in Texas had been like, you know, just jump at whatever. And you like, you were able to kind of like, not, uh, I don't know. It just like, you didn't have to think about it too much or something. I don't know. I definitely remember something about that. But I remember you getting really mad at me about things that I was caught off guard about. Like what? I remember this one time (laughs) where you were upset about something that had happened, not with me, like separate from me. And we were texting about it or something. And I was like, I was just like offered like, uh, I was like, I think I said like, just take, just like, you know, take a few breaths or whatever. And you like hated that. (laughs) You were like, yeah. I, you were like, I taught meditation at school. Like, don't tell me to breathe. Yeah. I do not like being told what to do. Mm, yeah. Period. It's a big issue. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, someone I'm dating told me to take a breath earlier this week. And I was like, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the through line. I didn't actually mm. say that. Like, I've learned like a bit of like fucking self-control. Mm. Um to not say everything I'm thinking, mm-hmm. but it did rub me the wrong way. And I was like, why am I getting so mad that this person told me to breathe? I have a real trigger around authority. I don't know if it's similar for you in that. I think it comes from being raised in the church and it's just so like, yeah, because of being so controlled and monitored through that authority and being told what to do just feels really bad to me, really stifling. Mm. Oh, I hadn't made that connection of like religious trauma aspect of hating authority. Obviously, I hate all forms of authority, perceived or real. And even when people are being helpful, mm. like if you offer me help that I don't want, it's game over. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's really good to know. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, um, kind of going from the gender role thing, part of why we wanted to talk to you is because I am just really interested to know more and to like have people hear about kind of what your experience from where you started when you moved to LA and before in like your mid twenties till, till now when you have so much about your life and like, um, your priorities and like, even the way you look like has changed. Um, and part of what's interesting to me about that is like, from knowing you, there are certain things that, you know, you were praised for and given attention for that you, that you had, um, as like a very femme appearing, you know, blonde, um, long haired blonde person, uh, coming from Texas, um, that you decided like, not for me, this isn't me. Um, so I would just like, love to hear you talk about kind of, I know you said you have a bad memory, but do your best. Um, <laughs> don't tell her what to do. Bam, what to do. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, can you, what, for, what's like the first thing that comes to mind when I bring this up? Can you be more specific? Yeah, sure. Well, okay. So like kind of continuing my thread. So certain things that like you were praised for, given attention for, and other things that you were kind of limited or put in a box for. Um, so I guess maybe let's, let's let the question be, do you, are there specific moments you had like in, in LA before or after like we broke up that you felt like the door opening up to kind of what your identity might evolve into? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I was kind of blindsided by my identity. Like I wasn't like really marinating on like, who am I? Like what mm -hmm. is my gender? What is my sexuality? Like I feel like it kind of just happened to me in a weird mm. way. Um, and I think moving out of Texas to a city where I didn't know anyone opened up the possibility that I could be like my own person without having to report to anyone. Like no one's going to really know like what I look like or dress like on a day-to-day -day basis. No one's going to know who I'm going on dates with. Um, so I think there was just some freedom there of like, I'm not going to run into people from my old church. I'm not going to, mm. Um, be like accountable to like a past version of myself that people have to adjust to. Mm -hmm. And I think that was um, amplified during the pandemic when I didn't have to go into schools anymore. Mm, um, for work. A huge part of like feeling trapped in my identity as a femme was that I work in pretty conservative schools um, where you're like, a miss or a mister. So I would go into these schools and be called Miss Lyons and have to dress the part of like pure, innocent, sweet teacher. Um, mm. And obviously I'm Ooh. a fucking demon. So that didn't sit well with me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so layered too, because how teacher of how teachers are like mammified or like defanged, you know, and like desexualized that you're like not just supposed to appear, you know, feminine and sweet and innocent, but also like asexual too. Yeah. So like uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. I think Real that was like a, a huge part of like, then I think you asked like what opened the possibility or opened the door mm -hmm. and just like working from home without having to see anyone. Mm. It's like the big thing for me. Yeah. I think the timing of the pandemic was also the timing of my first gay breakup. Um, and in that relationship, I, I don't know, I guess we were like, I'm like, was I a lesbian? Not really. I was bi. But um, dating a person who's also now non-binary at the time, it was like a very like femme butch dynamic. And I got a lot of attention in that relationship in the same way that I did um, from men and that I was praised for being femme. Like I was praised for like my makeup, my outfits, my hair, 
um, the whole like bit of being a femme woman. Um, and that was comfortable. Like it was a nice, like ease into queer dating because I knew how to be a femme. I've been a femme my entire life. I already had <laughs> everything. Like I knew the role. I knew the bit. Um, and the girl that I was dating had been a bunch of lesbians for like years and years. And so she also knew the role of like, like kind of the boyfriend role. Like she would drive and pick me up for our dates. And I was like, perfect. This is what I like. <laughs> yeah. um, so in some ways, and she definitely was the pursuer. And so I was like, well, this is like super easy because I've been here before. Um, but I think part of the tension in that relationship was that uh, the more I came to like understand myself as a, as a person and not as like a role, um, I felt pretty trapped in that role in the relationship. And maybe it was because it was like a form of authority <laughs> that I didn't mm. want to deal with. Um, but it, it definitely made me feel a bit trapped in the same way I felt trapped in like straight relationships where, especially in Texas where I'd perform like the role of like mm. the sweet um, teacher girlfriend. I don't Yeah. So we, we broke up first week of pandemic. Like time to shave my head. Let's go, baby. <laughs> what was the last thing you said? Time to shave my head. Oh, I remember that. I remember that day. So what was it? What did it feel like when that when you considered like the idea that you didn't have to perform femme anymore? What did that how did that feel like that possibility? It was terrifying because I didn't know how else. I would get attention. Like it was the only thing I'd really gotten attention for. And it's the only thing I knew how to do. And I didn't have any friends like in my queer community that were, or, or I guess had had this experience of like doing the whole like high femme bit and then kind of moving into more mask or androgynous like presentation. Um, so I didn't have a clear like roadmap of like what to do. Like when you're like a teenage girl, there's like a million things that teach you how to be a teenage girl and like what to mm. wear and how to do your makeup and whatever. Um, so I think the biggest thing I was feeling was like fear that no one would find me attractive anymore. Mm. Fear that I didn't know how to do it. Like I didn't have, there wasn't like rules. Um, I remember being on like, the ASOS website <laughs> in the men's section. It's 2020. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm like just ordering everything. And I'm like, I don't know what size I am in this. I don't know what this is going to look like on my body. Like, I don't know that anyone could be attracted to me wearing mm. only men's clothing mm. with a buzz cut. But it felt worth investigating to me to see how I felt. Mm -hmm. And not being in a relationship allowed me, I guess, the freedom to explore that without having to think about what someone else is going to think about me. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing this and I'm just like, wow, because I'm thinking about I'm picturing you alone buying these clothes on ASOS and how much your life had changed from what I know it was like a couple years prior, which was like you were in Dallas working in education and you were like a part of this community of young people who all were part of like a church community and were all like coupled up for the most part. And how that must have felt to like, you know, see where you had come from and like where you now were and like what you were delving into. Yeah. I think the people were surprised as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you like, how was it for you to like, think about them seeing pictures of you or like hearing about these changes? Like those people who had known you in such a different moment. Um, it helped a lot that I knew I would have time um, before anyone would like find out what I looked like. 
Hmm. because the pandemic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I knew that I had control over what people could see like on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't have to take that into account like too, too much. And the people that I am close with in Texas or was at the time I knew would accept me and would like think it's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And that wouldn't be Mm -hmm. an issue. And the people who wouldn't, I, I don't have to deal with. Like, I don't have to see yeah. like, my old boss or like, like, I don't have to deal with like the education world. And right. even the friends, like my close friends, my coworkers um, have been like nothing but supportive. Like once mm-hmm. I posted pictures of mm-hmm. me um, on Instagram, like the majority of people who commented were my coworkers from Texas mm-hmm. who were like, and friends who were like very supportive and like, mm-hmm allies um, which was cool to like any fears that I had were pretty like squished pretty immediately with mm-hmm. the support that I did get mm-hmm. when you let go of that and you I mean that's so scary like you said terrifying you're like really like in the wilderness being like I don't know what the fuck this is gonna be like and like you said like am I gonna be attractive and like it's just you're of course then what happened was you're like, oh yeah, I'm so attractive, but in this like totally different way. And did you have a experience or moment where you like felt that for the first time with someone when you had like shed that femme presentation and you were like, whoa, I'm like, yeah, I'm so hot, but in a different way now. Yeah. I think it took a couple years. Um, a feeling like really ugly mm-hmm. and also knowing that I would rather feel ugly than be a version of myself that is fake. Um, and I feel like that's like the Aries mentality. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I will endure this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I experienced more rejection in dating than I have in my entire lifetime, which is mostly because I'd never experienced rejection in my entire (laughs) lifetime. Um, And it was just like, yeah, like hit after hit for a while of these girlies leaving me (laughs) for their straight ex-girlfriends, which was a Mm. lot. Um, Lesbians in LA just love straight girls. Like they love them. Hmm. They can't get enough of them. Um, Interesting. So I'm just, I'm curious. Yeah. So straight girls who date women or date. No. no. Just straight girls. But they were leaving you for the straight girls. Yep. Happened three times in a row, baby. I can name names. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, Drop some names. Yeah. It's like a whole thing of like, obviously straight girls look femme because they're doing like the gender role of being a girl. And so a lot of the like butch lesbians that I was interested in were only interested in other femmes. And so as I was like shedding my femininity, uh, I think it was really challenging them and what they were attracted to. Mm. Um, and the conclusion was that it wasn't me. Mm. <laughs> and that I think was pretty like, okay, I have this fear that no one's going to find me attractive. And then mm-hmm. people are leaving me for their mm-hmm. like femme crush, who was right. also a straight girl. <laughs> right. Who's like more, so em- he's like more and emblematic of the thing I'm leaving behind. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I've done that bit before. And I, I can do it. I did it very well. I excelled even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is <laughs> like, damn, like I could have. Yeah. That's so brutal to be like, I'm scared this thing is going to happen. And guess what? Like it does a bunch of times, but then you're like, oh, and I'm fine ultimately, but still like so painful. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying that since moving to Oakland, like you've noticed how different it is and that in LA people do still subscribe much more to like traditional femme mask dynamics, which makes sense to me because like, I don't like, we don't live in like Hollywood or West Hollywood or Beverly Hills, but like still you like can feel here that like being like young, hot, skinny is like, is some like an intensity about like the power that can give you. 
in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting to me because I felt like coming out in LA was so easy. Like it was so good because I had an idea one day that I could be bi and then I changed my tender settings. And then in like a week I had two girlfriends and I was like, this is sick. I'm also <laughs> poly now. Um, <laughs> but I think that was also like my like femme long blonde hair era where like nothing about the world really changed. I just was dating women. Um, mm-hmm. And it looked the same too. Like mm-hmm. the relationships are very similar. Um, and I think once that dynamic became less interesting to me because I didn't, want to be a femme anymore um yeah there was that like weird period of rejection Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then i moved back into a van and fled the state of california (laughs) was in atlanta and i forgot about that yeah like that time during atlanta i was like sort of working but only on zoom um so like I still didn't have to like go into schools really. Um and I knew that I was gonna start law school soon. So I knew that I was like permanently leaving this education world and I could like really go all in on like what I want to look like. And I didn't have any language around like trans discourse to describe what was happening as transition. Um I think I was just like really silly not thoughtful wearing men's clothing for like two years and i was like this this is what i do now Mm -hmm. um and moving to oakland my first friend here um was someone that i was going on dates with in la's other person that they were going on dates with who chaotically i added on instagram and started hitting on them and their dms and that was silly. Um, so I met up with them once I moved here and they're trans non-binary, um, and just had kind of words for everything that I had been experiencing that I, I understood to be a sort of change or a sort of transformation, but I hadn't identified as transition. Um, Mm. because when I, yeah, what I understood about transition is you like have to have some gender affirming surgery. You have to be on hormones. You have Mm. to like Mm -hmm. jump through these hoops, um, to like become a man to be trans. And I Mm. think what I learned from the trans community in Oakland is that like, okay, it's like the Barbie movie where she's like, I didn't know I had to ask for permission to be a human. I just am. I was like, trans allegory right there. (laughs) Um, I didn't have to like start on T or have top surgery or anything to like become trans. Like I just like am. Um, Mm. And it's not, it's not a journey that I have to like do tasks to like complete or to get anywhere. Um, it just means that mm. like the gender that I was assigned at birth is in opposition to how I feel about myself mm. um, and to who I am. And so under understanding myself as trans, I think was the first step to like having a positive experience with yeah. my gender presentation. Mm. Um, mostly because I started hanging out with a lot of other trans people and hearing about their experiences and their journeys and meeting a mm. lot of other trans non-binary people that helped me understand myself um, impacted the way that I was dating people. Like I kind of only wanted to date other trans people who would understand that like, I'm not a butch lesbian. Like I'm not a mask presenting girl. Mm -hmm. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not, um, I'm not like a she, they, that nothing against she, they, I'm not a she, they, that like is a, they sometimes and a she other times, like I'm just trans all the time. And I mm-hmm. need to be in relationship with people that do not see me as like woman light. Cause I think a lot of people mm-hmm. see non-binary as like, Oh, but like you're, you're like AFAB, right? Like you're like a woman, right? A- AFAB? Assigned female at birth. Assigned female at birth. Uh-huh. Okay. So, and that's like the tone of that is like, but you're really a woman. So 
like yeah like you're like like lesbian specific you're like but you're like one of us right yeah uh, between me and you yeah that's interesting Mm. so do you look at it in chapters like was it like okay first i was bi slash pan and then that was one chapter or not so much um kind of i guess the bigger chapter is more about how I want to be perceived instead of who I am dating. Like I'm pretty open to dating any gender as long as I'm perceived Mm. as trans or binary. And that means I guess a lot of the people that I date are also trans. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know that there's really a good word for that I guess it's homo in some ways because it's like same like trans for trans like T for T is mm. what I have on like like all my dating apps because I mm-hmm. want to be in relationship to people that see my gender. And not that like cis people can't like mm. see and understand my gender fully. Yeah, um, I'm not like limiting right. myself or others in that way, but I think it's more important than like the gender that I'm interested in is like the gender that I'm perceived as. So it's like, there's kind of like a more of an assuredness or comfort in dating trans people that that's just like, like more understood or more, more like likely to be understood. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with how I feel like I felt like hot again for the first time dating other trans people. Um, Mm-hmm. And I've had such like euphoric experiences that it's hard to imagine having with people that haven't transitioned or haven't like gone from one thing to another, which can be true in ways outside of gender. But I think that like overlapping experience does a lot for me. Like it's, it's like it connects me to people. Yeah in a big way yeah that seems so powerful like it's like such a huge thing to have experienced yeah it's also funny because then you can send like (laughs) pictures of like past self (laughs) yeah oh my god yeah with like yeah 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 it's fun (laughs) (laughs) like look at this lol can you believe it (laughs) right (laughs) that's really fun whoa Yeah. yeah dang okay I know what I want to talk about next. Um, You were talking about something. I don't know if this is like a process that you're going through lately, but finding joy in relationships without um, attachment distress. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, Well, I'm not an attachment expert. I barely believe in it, but I do think... (laughs) Part of my uh, struggles in relationship comes from the expectations I have for romantic partners stemming all the way back to like high school boyfriends in Texas and the gender roles there and all of that, that I still have so much work to do. Um, And when those expectations aren't met, my tendency is still exactly what Dan was describing. Like if something rubbed me the wrong way or triggered me, like I want to immediately have it resolved. I don't want Mm. to sit with the feeling. I don't want to think about where it's coming from. I want it to be fixed. Um, And that, let me tell you, does not work in relationships. (laughs) I can relate to that. You heard it here first. Um, And I think my dating pattern is that I'm only interested and people when it's sort of like a mutual obsession type of love where you're just like goo goo gaga hard eyes about each other all the time, like texting 24 seven, trying to squeeze each other into each other's calendars as often as possible. Um, which inevitably leads to like a roller coaster. Yeah. Relationship, whirlwind romance. And, um, that's not go super well for me. <laughs> so, yeah. I think what I'm trying to be open to is forming connections with people that are fulfilling, that are not 
centered around the idea of like being partners. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to only have valuable relationships with people that I'm in like a couple with. Like I want to be Mm -hmm. open to different dynamics um, outside of like a super intense romantic relationship to see what needs I can have met Mm. outside of like the universe of like traditional dating. Um, Yeah. Which just does feel very possible in the Bay area. Like the poly community out here is like amazing. Like there's so much space to have different types of connections with people. Um, And in my experience, like people here are very open about, um, just like talking honestly about what you have to offer, what you're interested in and seeing if it matches up. That's cool. Um, yeah. And so I've had some cool experiences dating here that have not um, looked like past relationships in ways that are not comfortable for me, but I think are maybe healthy for me, at least while I'm like healing the patterns I have in dating that like aren't working for me. Yeah. That's cool. It makes me think of like, there's been times with my coaching clients when people are having anxiety around dating or like dating is stressful, um, you know, or have like unpleasant experiences from their dating past that they're, you know, wary of that, like having people kind of try and remember or focus on things that you can reasons why you would want to go on dates or like meet people outside of like where like ending up at some particular partnership, you know, like end goal, like that there actually are many things that can come from meeting people and like going on, going out like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've always known that in theory and so many of my close friends I met on dating apps and pretty quickly were like, okay, this is like, only going to be platonic. Mm-hmm. And that's been awesome because I feel like I have a lot of queer community from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and those relationships are like really fulfilling to me, but are also very separate in my mind from romantic or sexual relationships. Like I'm not a person mm-hmm. that enjoys flirting with my friends, although that's very common um, mm-hmm. in the queer community. It's like kind of a hard boundary for me. Like if you're my friend, you're my friend. And mm-hmm. that's like, a comfort safe box because I don't experience any attachment distress in friendships. I don't worry Mm. about friends leaving me. I don't have to Mm. um, like have the anxiety I have in romantic relationships and friendships. Mm. So that's a nice little safe bubble. But I think my dating experience still is not as, I want to use the word liberated. I don't think that's right. I guess like, Un, unwounded, unwinded, <laughs> detached mm. from like my like childhood trauma. Yeah, like, or like it's just childhood notions too. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's just like embarrassing sometimes to be dating Aww. and like see all of your like childhood trauma coming up and like <laughs> also being powerless to like control mm. it. <laughs> you know? It is. It can be really embarrassing, even though it's like so normal and like mm-hmm. so. Ex- like kind of couldn't go any other way. It just does feel sort of like embarrassing. Yeah. When he's talked about the poly community being pretty explicit about like, here's what I have to offer. I really liked that. What is that? Could you give an example of what someone might say is like, here's what I offer like in relationship. Yeah. I think there's different like buckets of things people are interested in. Um, I, I guess I can stop, I can start at one end and go to the other end. I think a lot of poly people, um, in the Bay are like non-hierarchical. So they will have a bunch of different partners, but there's not like a primary, a secondary, um, or like less serious casual partners. It's like everyone kind of has their own unique relationship and there's not like, any preference given to one partner over the other. 
I call bullshit on this. I think it's fake. I think there's always a hierarchy. I think at the end of the day, someone's your emergency contact and someone's not. Yeah. You're either going to move in with someone or you're not. Like there's mm. life decisions that end up having to be made around partnerships. Um, so I don't think that's real. What yeah. I do like about this is that it gives each relationship the space to grow into whatever it could be. Um, whereas like a hierarchical polydynamic where like say the person you're living with um is your primary partner that just limits any other relationships that you can have Mm -hmm. um in a way that for me I find it comforting um and for others it can be I guess like annoying um I love being people's secondary partner because it means I'm basically like a celebrity guest. Yeah. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I don't do all of the like big relationship stuff. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not moving in with anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it it just is like very fun and clear to like know what my role is there. I guess I really like roles. Um, And so people could say on a dating app, like looking for a primary partner Mm -hmm. or have a partner I live with looking for, like more casual Mm -hmm. partners all the way to like only interested in like platonic connections or only interested in like kink community. Mm -hmm. So people can say like specifically what things they're looking for within like the kink universe of options too. And that can be a totally separate type of relationship than romantic or sexual. Yeah. And it also could be all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just like a wide range of things that are possible. And I think for a lot of poly people that I have met, everything starts off on the table. And then as you get to know each other, you kind of figure out Mm. like more relationship energy wise, like what things do you want to keep on the plate? What things do you want to take off? Mm. Yeah. What like makes sense for us now? And also Mm. knowing like, that could change in a month that could change Mm. in six months. And it's like a more fluid Mm. thing as opposed to like, you are my primary partner. You'll, you'll be my primary partner in six months and no one else is going to ever be your primary partner again. Yeah. I like that. It's much more responsive, I think. And like, you know, flexible and allowing for like, you know, life, you know, you're responding to what's unfolding in your life. Mm. So I like that. Yeah. Cool. So are you not really looking for a primary partner at this moment? I'm definitely open to it if like that's where a relationship seems to be going. Um, Mm. I don't know that I will ever want to commit to a relationship with someone at the cost of kind of what Justin's saying, like not being responsive. Like I'm not going to do the relationship escalator that like you get to the top and then you're just at the top. <laughs> like yeah. I, I always want there to be some flexibility with either escalating things more or de-escalating things mm-hmm. based off of how it's going or what you have the capacity for. Um, well, I really like that. Yeah. I don't know that I desire a primary partner mm-hmm. right now. So I don't think I'm going into dates hoping or expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yourself when you're like messaging or like arranging a date, what kind of role, how would you describe the role you're taking on? Are you tending to be the one like trying to make things happen or you tend to be like more deferring to people pursuing you or does it really depend? It really depends, mm-hmm. um, which I like and I kind of like need. That's like one role that I feel less attached to of like, being, I don't know, like being the pursuer all of the time feels a little forced. Like that not every person I talk to on a dating app, I want to like rush to meet up with. Um, But there are times where I do feel more urgently and excited about someone where I will Mm -hmm. like work to make it happen. Um, Yeah. I kind of, I guess it depends on the person and how interested I am. That sounds yeah. bad. No, I mean, yeah. that I'm like, if you pursued me, it's because I wasn't interested. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uh, very, 
And sometimes like, you know, and it can shift. It's like sometimes you're like not interested, but then they start pursuing you and then you like kind of like, you're like, oh, whoa, I actually am more yeah. into you and then kind of shifts into you pursuing more. So um, I know. cat and mouse, ever heard of it? <laughs> we're, we're cutting that. I definitely want to ask like in that period when you were like delving into this great unknown, like what was really helpful for you? Like, what did you find supportive or what, what would you like, what would you say to people who are maybe in that space now? That's a good question. Um, I think it helped a lot that I just had pretty built in queer community to like hype me up when I needed it. Um, and I don't, think that I necessarily believed them. Like when I was like, mm. oh, I'm ugly and everyone's rejecting me. <laughs> um, and my friends were like, no, you're hot. I wasn't like, oh my God, you're so right. Um, but I think having people who will say the thing that you need to hear when you need to hear it is helpful. And I think that applies to like every type of transition you could go through in life. And just like being in community with other people who have, have done the thing that you're doing um, to be able to like see it and identify it and maybe mm -hmm. tell you what's happening mm -hmm. um, and give you some like hope of like, not that like, it's going to be okay. It's going to work out at the end, but just like, Oh, like there's a future for people like me. And that future is like a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like what it might be leading to. Yeah. Yeah. And just like move to Oakland. Like if you're trans, just like, yeah. Move to Oakland. yeah. <laughs> if possible. Yeah. <laughs> what, who did you say was on the top of the gay food chain in Oakland? I feel like, yeah, skinny white trans mask people. Yeah. Whereas in LA. Whereas, yeah. In LA, what is it? LA like skinny femme probably mm, yeah yeah mm -hmm. sounds familiar <laughs> <Been a boat. laughs> what about in New York do we know I have no idea weird <laughs> quirky weird and artsy girls I don't know or I went on a date with a clown from New York last week so whoa mm. yeah clown was it around. was it fun um it was like pretty mid Okay, yeah. cool. I hope they listen yeah. to this. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> Ooh, it was great. It was a good time. <laughs> cool. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you so yeah. much. And that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self-produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps.